forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Royer and uh, Doc, welcome. Hey, it's uh, good to have you back from Israel, Greg. How about that? That was awesome. It was pretty fantastic. Yeah, what a what a great experience, and always a great experience going there. Um, so much to see, so enriching and life enriching, and and everything else. I mean, I could talk for a long time about it. I did on another podcast last week, but you've been off the grid as well, Doc, a little bit lately. Yeah, I did one of my uh, mental health uh, couple week sabbatical, I guess, um, which for me is pounding nails. So uh, we've mentioned in some of the podcasts before that in my other life, I have a builder's license, which uh, you know I don't use to support my family, but I use to support my psychological and emotional <laughs> well-being. Being a psychologist, I learned very early on that when you would try to move or adapt the walls in people's lives, you would find that they'd come right back up again the next session. <laughs> and so uh, doing something where I can physically put a wall up and it stays or take a wall down and it stays. And so I've been building our, our next house, which is in um, right side of, outside of Charlotte by Lake Norman in a little town called Denver, North Carolina. Wow, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I know that about you, that all the years, you know, you like to get your hands dirty, uh, literally, and, uh, you know, get yeah. dirt under your fingernails. And you've talked a lot about that over the years. And I know you've built so much. So, and we're going to be talking in the next couple episodes here, too, a lot about engaging completely with our senses and the world around us. And so it's a wonderful sort of counterbalance to all the intellectual and the work you do and all the sort of lab-based work that you do to get out and touch and feel and see stuff, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. And as we talk about the book today, I think there'll probably be a couple pieces of that that come up. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And that brings up the topic of the day, which is that you have a new book out. It just came out a couple of weeks ago called Forge Your Inner Armor, Strengthen Your Brain-Body Connections to Perform at Your Potential. And it's available in print, Kindle ebook, and audiobook. You can find it on Amazon. So tell us about the book, Doc. Well, first of all, it's a collaborative effort. Yes, I have a book out, but uh, I have to give major kudos to you, Greg. Uh, uh, you are the writing talent behind all of this. And uh, while I have different ideas and have uh, spent many years doing this clinically, man, you've put uh, pen to paper and just done such a phenomenal job of just uh, taking what you and I have discussed for almost a decade now and uh, really consolidating it into something that somebody can digest pretty quickly and easily. And that was one of our main goals was we don't need to talk about volumes and volumes of neuroscience. Uh, everybody's got Google, that kind of stuff. But let's take the real important issues, summarize it, get it into the hands of people so that they can really do some things to better their lives and those around them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always, it, it's such an, a great thing to work with you, Doc, because you've got such clear concepts. And, you know, when we first met, 
I was struck by how cogent and pointed your ideas were. And, you know, in a field that can be kind of diffuse and complex, you had some very, very strong principles, some real clear goals, uh, ways that you sort of tied things together. And it's just a real joy to sort of, you know, take all that in and be able to sort of summarize that for people. Yeah, I think some of that over the years has been my own sense of trying to uh, bring some organization or or boundaries around all that exists theoretically and psychology and those kind of things. And many of the things that, you know, I spend uh, my time on, which is a lot of data and input, real time input of the brain and body. I didn't really learn all that in graduate school. That isn't what we were taught, which is kind of sad. The only thing that really, I think, started me on that journey was all the neuropsych testing uh, that I really specialized in and uh, learning those kind of data points about people, how to assess memory functioning, cognitive functioning. And, you know, I really kind of gravitated toward those data-driven things. And it was out of that that I started to look more and more at the science and the technology that really is what this book is about. This isn't, um, you know, all kinds of theoretical tell yourself this and that and you'll feel this way. This is this is hard data interfaced with what you're feeling and experiencing. And um, that brings some sense to my world. And so I, I find that when I, I communicate that to people, that they really um, gravitate towards that, that they, they here's something I can finally understand, you know, so it's not just for them, but it's for me too to kind of put some sense to all of it. Right. Well, let's, let's just give people a little bit of context here. So it's a short book. Um, you know, you and I have been, again, working together for more than a decade. And, you know, we've talked a lot about publishing. I used to work in publishing. And it's interesting because publishing has these guidelines, you know, nonfiction books of this category should be about this many words. In publishing, you don't count pages, you count words. And, you know, uh, fiction books should be of this category, this genre, so long and whatnot. And it was real common in the early 2000s, late 90s, let's say mid 90s, for a sort of nonfiction book in this category or this genre, kind of a neuroscience performance type book to be how 90,000 words or something like that, 80,000 words. So it'd be like a 300 page book. And one of the things that's interesting is, and you know, you, I know you've got them on your shelf. I've got several of them on my shelf here that you've recommended to me over the years that I've read. And they're all 300 and something pages. But, you know, what's happened over the years is that people's uh, capacity to read longer material seems to have shrunk. And I'm sure we could talk about you know, all the ways that, you know, neurologically people just don't have the, maybe the attention span to read a longer piece because, you know, we're saturated by media and a lot of the things. So when we first started talking about this, we said, well, instead of writing a 300 page book that people get a third of the way into and then give up why don't we do something that's very short, very punchy, uh, very cogent, gets right to the point. And so this is 100 pages, 20,000 words. It, it, you know, the audio book is what, two and a half hours. You can listen to it on an airplane, a car ride, whatnot. And we felt that it would be better to do more sort of short pieces than few long pieces. Uh, and we hope that that will get the information in people's not only in their hands, of course, but into their, into their heads and have them digesting it and making them 
helping them make use of it in their lives, so to speak. So, so the book explains sort of the foundations of your work over the last 20, 30 years. And it's really about the nexus between performance in the real world, what we do, and the medical science that affects that performance. Because our performance in the real world is affected by a lot of things in our body and what we can do with our body using medical science and training and things that you have developed will therefore improve our performance, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the nexus of what the book is about. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, summarize some of that for, for the listeners. Yeah, I think performance is something that we can measure many times in sports or the workplace. We can't always measure it in kind of the day-to-day, down-and-dirty kind of things that we do, you know, like getting the laundry done, mowing the lawn, getting the kids from here to there. You know, I guess if the kids don't make it to school that day, you can kind of measure the level of performance. But, you know, they make it there with two seconds left or they make it with a few minutes and some calm and steady structure to their life. Those are different levels of performance. And you know, it can be a very vague thing. And, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. And coming out of graduate school, I realized, wow, this is a very hard thing to actually measure if you're just doing subjective things. Like, well, here's a good example. I do um, do a lot of different lectures on sleep. And hopefully you guys out there have listened to the sleep lectures. Uh, But, you know, to audiences, and uh, I can remember this one time I was I was asking uh, some people at a lecture. It was a couple day long. So I started the, the lecture by saying, hey, let's rate your sleep. So I had two individuals say, one to 10, what would you say your sleep is? And both individuals said, eight or nine out of 10. Great, great sleep. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And I could tell one person was, you know, just barely hanging on. Um, you know, they'd been nodding off during the lecture. Now that could be me. I don't know. Uh, but I was like, really eight to nine out of 10. So we do sleep studies, mobile sleep studies, where we literally look at architecture in the brain and we can quantitatively see where you fall developmentally to your age with your quality of sleep across multiple variables. Not like a Fitbit. This is like real live sleep architecture, polysomnograph. So the next day I got their results back. And one of the guys who was eight or nine said he was eight or nine out of 10 was truly that his sleep architecture was spot on, beautiful, great amount of REM, deep sleep, very few awakenings, got to sleep in the right amount of time. The next guy was one of the worst sleep studies I've ever seen. I mean, it was just awful. There's a a red marker that's used for awakenings, and you should only see a couple little slices of that. This whole graph was completely red. And from, from his vantage point, because he didn't have a reference, that felt normal, right? And he's like, I'm eight or nine out of 10. And the other guy's eight or nine out of 10, but they're not eight or nine out of 10 because they're not being measured objectively. And that is... Kind of in a nutshell, let's expand that out, all kinds of variables of our, in our life. There's ways to measure these things when it comes to performance in relation to our autonomic nervous system, our brain, our body, our heart, our hormones. And 
this book is really encouraging people to start to look at some of these objective things out there, looking at our nervous system and measuring it in relation to performance and not just subjectively, I'm doing pretty good. Well, you're doing pretty good compared to what? Yesterday, the last two months, what is your reference point? And giving some absolute not relative, absolute values to people that they can truly measure how well they're functioning. Doc, I know, you know, I know your story, I know your background, and that your kind of career vision, life vision has been to, to help people improve themselves. And so all of your motives in your work and your medical work and your practice and the companies you've built, whatnot, are all about trying to help people figure out how to be the best versions of themselves and to maximize themselves, like you say, not just in a subjective way, but in an objective, measurable way. And that kind of leads to sort of the story of this book. And I know there's a little bit of a story behind how it came to be written and it kind of ties into your background. You, you want to share that a little bit? Sure. So I uh, used to be a, a co-owners of a company called uh, Neurocore. And it's a great experience. Uh, my business partners and I were uh, together for 12, maybe 12, 13 years. And uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we decided as a company to, to write a book. And that's actually when we, uh, you and I met, Greg. And uh, it was great. Somebody during a board meeting, because uh, we did a lot of work in the, and continue to do, I continue to do through Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor a ton of work with ADHD. I mean, I would say that that's one of that and an anxiety disorders are my two biggest clinical things that I would say that I have a lot of expertise in. But we were literally seeing thousands of individuals with ADHD. And because I'd done so much work in that space, we wanted to write a book about kind of the epidemic of the increase of the diagnosis of ADHD, the misdiagnosis of it, and the mismanagement of it through multiple uh, medicines that many times aren't even addressing the right thing. So somebody at a board meeting said, because I was talking about the brainwave activity that these medicines if impact one way positively, but negatively take their creativity out. And this person came up with this great, great title. They said, uh, we're burning out Rembrandt. And I'm like, wow, isn't that true? Aren't we doing that? In order to keep kids in their seats, because somebody wants them to act a certain way, uh, we're taking away all their creative brainwaves with these stimulants, and we're getting rid of Rembrandt. So, um, uh, Greg, you and I, oh, man, I don't How long was that that we worked on? That was like, uh, I think we, we met like almost 13 years ago, because we worked on the book for over two years. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, and so it was it like, was yeah, it was like, it was like 2010, 2000, 2011, we started we met, and I remember how, how interesting it was because in my first meeting with you, you turned the world upside down for me in terms of understanding this issue because you laid out this issue about ADHD. And I remember at the time, and I, I think we want to come back to this point in a minute, but ADHD was the big new thing, right? So yeah, uh, it, it was in the news every day. It was, you know, the talking points every day. Like that was the hot you know, disease. And so, you know, I, I'd known people with it. I thought I'd known people with it, heard about it, you know, surrounded like everybody else at the time, like ADHD, ADHD, everybody's got ADHD. 
kids have ADHD, adults have ADHD, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I met you and we started talking about doing this book. And in the first meeting, like in the first hour, you laid out sort of your understanding of attention hyperactivity disorder, right? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. And you, you turned my whole understanding of that upside down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. It was like, you know, somebody just, just, you know, like flipped the script. And from that point on, I was so intrigued. And then you and I spent about two years, you know, delving into this and, you know, you sharing stuff with me. We met a lot of people, talked to a lot of people, and then we started, you know, writing drafts or whatnot. And it was an incredible experience for me because it was kind of the gateway for me into your ideas and a whole different understanding of how our bodies and our brains work. And um, so we ended up, yeah, we ended up uh, writing that, that, uh, that manuscript together. Yeah, it was, it was hours and hours. And I was like, man, how much more can I talk to Greg? I talked to you more that two years than <laughs> my, my entire family together. Uh, it was unbelievable how much we talked. And I mean, it, it got to a point that you were using the same words or our language is just kind of synchronized. You know how when you get on a topic with somebody that all of a sudden you're starting to think and look at the world a certain way. And you introduced some different concepts to me. And so, so we were cruising along, got this book done. And um, it was very interesting because I'd never written or been part of writing a book. And so I have a good uh, a client of mine uh, who's also a good friend uh, who's uh, been on the New York Times bestseller list multiple times uh, in the top 10. And, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, I sort of know books, but I don't know books. And I remember sending him Rembrandt. And he sent it back and he said, Doc, this is one of the best books that I've read in this area. You know, you really have something here. And it was, it was super exciting. Like, oh my gosh, we really do. Well, um, the other side of the story was the company started to take a different turn and they didn't want to publish the book. They wanted to do something different, which was fine. You know, we had leadership that wanted to do that. And it was kind of sitting there and I'm like, man, I really want to get this thing published. And then go ahead, Greg. Well, I was just going to say, it was, another thing, say? it was another thing going on at the same time, because I remember yeah. that we got the manuscript done and there was an agent that was shopping it uh, to the big five publishers in New York. And I remember it was a conversation with Random House and Simon and & Schuster and, you know, like they had all this interest in it. But then what happened and having worked in publishing myself in the past is when you have a topic that's a hot topic, then, right, like everybody starts producing books on that topic. Yeah, yeah. And publishers start commissioning books, on right? Because it's just a marketplace thing, right? This is a hot in market segment right now. Let's like push product into it. And what we got back was, well, now there's a flood of books about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yeah. And, you know, the publishers are putting out, you know, two new books about ADHD every week, bam, 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 bam. And by the time we got the manuscript to them, they were like, well, yeah, but, you know, we've already published 10 this month, you know, year uh, on the topic. And so it was a little interesting because your approach to the subject was very different than all of those other books right. that were flooding the market. And I felt really frustrated because I was like, well, yeah, I know you guys are, are, are spamming out all of these books on the topic, but 
I don't want to say they're, they were all wrong, but they were all taking sort of a conventional approach. And you had a very unique perspective on this and unique data and unique information. But the marketplace was like, well, yeah, we're going a different direction. Yeah, I'll say it for you. Most of them were all wrong. Yes, they were all wrong. I can say that clinically, uh, data-wise, all kinds of stuff. So the book kind of got shelved. and um, Well, and then there was one last last thing on that, right? Because, and I know we may come back to this at either this episode or some future episodes I think that we have planned, is because diseases go through these, like, popularity cycles, I hate to say that, right? But you and I have talked about that. That, you know, in the 80s, it was, there were certain things that were like the hot new disease and the 90s and the early 2000s. And then all of a sudden, like, you don't hear about ADHD anymore. Right. I mean, I'm not saying you don't hear about it at all or it's not out there, but it was like you couldn't, you couldn't turn on a TV, you couldn't open a magazine, you couldn't do whatever without ADHD. This was like 12 years ago. And now, when was the last time you saw a story about it? So then the disease became sort of not popular are hot anymore and now nobody's putting books out about it because it's it's in the rear view mirror and and we've moved on to some hot new diseases yes exactly and they cycle through and this is a great uh, that'd be great content for um a podcast because i mean i've seen it over the 30 years you know multiple personality disorder juvenile uh, bipolar disorder, which nobody ever heard of that before, ADHD. I mean, the list just goes on and how it comes on and it's, it's hot, you know, Asperger's, everybody's got this, you know, and it's like that this book, if you really read this book, you're going to find out that those are all downstream. Those are downstream behaviors. And this is all about upstream what makes these behaviors uh, happen, which I want to get into in a minute, but I want to finish this, the, star, the story on Rembrandt because it does get interesting, right? So we, so we had written this book, kind of got shelved a little bit. And then four years ago, January 2019, I got completely blindsided and lost the, my company where um, I wasn't expecting something to happen. And I'm going to say of the different events that happened in my life and my family's life, it was, it was top two or three most disruptive experiences of my life, uh, losing my company that I'd worked on for, for many, many years. And that happens in business, things like that happen. But uh, I didn't know if I was ever going to bounce back from that. And uh, it's been amazing to see what's happened the last four years. It's been incredible, the growth of Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor. And I look in the rearview mirror now, I'm like, wow, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. But it sure wasn't pleasant with all the lawyers and all that stuff going on. But one of the things I asked for, like, as I was uh, unexpectedly going out the door with my box of uh, things that I owned from the company was, hey, can I have Rembrandt? Because it's been sitting in a shelf in in the back of a cabinet someplace. And can I just take that with me? Because I think I could repurpose this. And um, uh, the lawyers did not let that happen. So Rembrandt was gone. And um, I remember one of the things I really regretted over those, you know, next couple of years was, man, I wish, I sure wish uh, I had that book because there's so many good things and principles in it, uh, but I couldn't do anything with it. So all that, that long story to say this last fall, I'm um, 
I don't know what happened. It was just kind of one of those things. Usually after I rest for a few days, all of a sudden I come up with an idea. But I woke up one morning and you and I hadn't talked in a few years. And I woke up in the morning and said, who needs Rembrandt? I got Greg. <laughs> I said, you know, why, why am I so obsessed about getting this manuscript when the guy who knows everything about this, knows everything about the neuroscience behind, he's a phone call away. And I remember going through my contact list, where's Greg? Greg's Greg. And I called Greg. And I, we were down here in Florida. And you're still up in Michigan. Uh-huh. And I said, uh, Greg, how you doing? And he's like, Roger, what are you doing? And I said, right. I said hey, we got to have lunch. And yeah. um, we, I can remember, was it, I guess, sometime well, in September, maybe? It was October. Was it? But it was interesting October. because you, call, you called me the week of my daughter's wedding. Um, she yes. got married on, on yeah. October 22. And you called me, like, right at the beginning of wedding week which I know you're going through yeah. this next week. And so it was like I was yes. in the same space then that you are right now. And it was like, what? That's this call from, you know, Tim Royer. And I'm like, what? And so, uh, yeah, so I said, well, you know, wait till after the wedding. So we met for lunch uh, the, uh, out at Lake Michigan the week after the wedding. And, yeah, uh, we, and I remember we walked up. I, I just pulled in and I was like, what's going to happen here, right? And uh, pulled in the parking lot. Nobody was there. They hadn't opened the restaurant yet, you know. I had seen you for a few years and I, it was like, we literally just picked up the conversation. I mean, it was, it was like we were midstream conversation and just picked (laughs) it right up. Yeah. And we sat at that table by that window and we started brainstorming and said, who needs Rembrandt? We got all the ideas. I got Greg. (laughs) And, um, you know, I still had this vision, this passion for getting the underlying information that is so important to people out there and uh you had the same vision and it was just a matter of like well let's turn a few dials here turn a few dials there uh we had started inner armor uh which is really a culmination of of many many years and clinical experience which i think is way better than other things that we were doing in the past and it's like this needs to be about forging your inner armor and man, you took off and it was amazing <laughs> to see you, uh, kind of crank out this book with me, uh, just over a few months. So it was really cool how something that was kind of negative, like, wow, all this work, you know, and I think we can get hung up in that, right? Sometimes is like we, this maybe thing doesn't happen in our lives the way that we think it should, you know, or this, this one maybe advancement in our job or this one thing that we're, we're kind of set our sights on. And we don't realize that like really what's been part of that is the, the developing of the relationships along the way, the skills along the way, the mindset that, well, let's just pivot that. And it may not be that specific prize, but you still end up with something that's way more sometimes than what you ever thought the prize was going to be. And that's what I think we've got here with uh, Forge Your Inner Armor is it's way bigger than Rembrandt, which was very specific on the ADHD topic. This is really applicable to every single person uh, on this planet, this well, book is. Yeah, because, you know, that was the thing, like I said, 13 years ago or whatever it was, when you and I first met in that first conversation and you sort of turned my understanding of the ADHD thing upside down, 
because what you started talking about is the autonomic nervous system and the brain and all these kinds of things, how it works. And then how, as you said earlier in the conversation, how what happens is these neurological conditions manifest themselves downstream in certain behaviors. And then right. the, beha- and the behaviors get labeled. And then we address the behaviors and how a lot of the psychological world or psychology and psychiatry, I remember at the time, you know, there's this, the, what, the DSM is the, the giant manual of psychological or psychiatric disorders. And I remember learning from you a dozen years ago that, that reality, a lot of that's just descriptive. Yeah. So yes. if, if, if I have a, you know, if, if, if my left hand shakes, then I say, well, what, what's wrong? Why does my left hand shake all the time? They go, well, on page 600, you have shaky left hand syndrome. Well, that doesn't exactly. tell me anything, right? That's just a description of the behavior, right? Yeah, but that's shaky left hand. I want to know why my left hand shakes. And what revolutionized my thinking for you is that, like you say, you went upstream on this stuff. And we say, well, if we start understanding what's going on inside the brain and the nervous system and how those interact with the other systems of the body, then all of these behavioral things are simply sort of the external symptomatic expressions of that. And what we need to be doing is looking upstream. So to your point, when we sat down at that restaurant that we had my daughter's wedding uh, back in October, and you said, hey, look, you know, what we had done with the, the Burning Out Rembrandt manuscript was we had really touched on those things, but we really focused on them in the context of this one specific disease or disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what we're doing now with Inner Armor is we're just, you know, freed from that and we're going to go upstream and address the autonomic nervous system and how it interacts with the other systems of the body. And, and that allows us to address all kinds of stuff yes. in our lives. And I remember sitting at that restaurant getting so excited about that going, yes, yes, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really in on this because I can see, and in the intervening years, I'd seen in my own life and the lives of the people around me how much uh, of what affects the way that we live, the way that we perform, whether that's in our jobs or our just day-to-day lives or whatever, how much of that is driven by what's going on inside our bodies and what's going on inside in a scientific medical way. And that this Mm -hmm. has the potential to really help people, genuinely help people improve their lives by addressing those underlying causes. Absolutely. Uh, For the people out there that really, if you look at it and you feel like, man, this hasn't, this medicine really hasn't addressed the underlying thing that's going on, or this distraction I'm doing isn't really addressing the underlying thing. This book is about how to get at the root of this. So I've always said for the last 15, 20 years when I'm lecturing is, Let's stop looking at behaviors and let's look at the brain, right? Yeah. So there's, there's 8 million children and adolescents diagnosed with ADHD. There's 10 million adults here in the United States at least diagnosed with ADHD. There's 48 million people in the United States diagnosed with anxiety disorders. And I'm going to tell you that it's a small fraction less than a percent probably that somebody's actually looked at their brain 
We're talking about brain-based problems, okay? If I go into the doctor and I've got this, my heart, something's wrong with my heart, right? And he says, oh, you have heart racing problem. Great. Uh, I'm like, are you going to look at my heart? Are you going to get an echo? Are you going to check my pulse? You know, are you going to, my blood pressure? You know, of course he's going to do all those things, right? And we are still diagnosing these same disorders that are neurological brain-based disorders off of behaviors like we did 50, 60, 70 years ago. Nobody's using available technology to actually image the brain. Look at the, I can see in a brain, and we talk about this in the book, which is really cool. We can look at the brain frequencies, the electrical current that drives these different behaviors and get upstream and not put a Band-Aid on these by just like changing the chemical activity randomly, like throwing darts at a dartboard. Well, how's Johnny doing? Is he doing better this month? Oh, he's not. Let's up his medicine. What is that? That's not science. That's a joke, right? We need to look at Johnny. Hey, I'm looking at Johnny's brain. And yeah, I see this is going on that you're reporting to me, but, but his brain is getting better. So let's give it more time. Or maybe we can reduce this toxic chemical to his brain and, and make it uh, much more that he's learning to focus versus chemically altering his focus. The same with anxiety, depression, even physical things like blood pressure. Somebody, last person with high blood pressure that got put on a medicine, how many of you had your doctor said, hey, let's look at what's going on in your brain that could be driving your high blood pressure? Yeah, and we talk about that in the book. We talk about how these things are all connected to the systems of your body and that there are these internal protocols that are sort of hardwired into your autonomic nervous system, the HPA axis and what's going on in the the lower portions of your brain down through these different nervous systems of your body, how those are connected to different organs and hormonal systems so that things that trigger produce all of this cascade of symptoms. And, you know, one of the things that I know you've talked a lot about is, you know, that, that game that you play in a carnival whack-a-mole. Yeah. And, and so, right, so the mole pops up his head, you take the big, you know, handle thing and you whack yeah. it, right? And then the yeah. one pops over here and you keep doing this. Well, what ends up happening is someone says, well, you know, little Johnny or Susie or something has ADHD, so let's give him a pill. Uh, and then the, the whatever that, that, that symptom seems to go down, but then there's this other thing that starts going they on. They can't sleep. Yeah, they yeah. can't sleep, right? And so then you give them another pill. And then there's this other thing. They get depressed or they get anxious, so you give them another pill. And before mm-hmm. you know it, you're just playing whack-a-mole because you've never gone upstream or, mm. down, or to pick the other analogy, you've never gone down to the foundation to figure out what it is that is driving all of these behaviors and symptoms in the body. And I think that's the thing 13 years ago that impressed me so much about your approach. It impressed me when we got together again back in October to work on this book. And it's why I'm so excited about being a part of this company and this organization with you, because I really believe that we are helping people to improve, not just their, not just to lower their golf score, or win a Super Bowl, which you do do. <laughs> yes. Right. But, but people, but really help people become better human mm-hmm. beings and to live Absolutely. more 
full, complete, thriving lives. And, and so anyway, what we tried to do in this first book was lay out the sort of medical scientific principles behind this. Because all this sounds a little like, woo, you know, uh, maybe new agey or wellnessy, like, oh, the secret things in your body. But it's not. It's, it's, it's actual documentable medical science about how your brain and your nervous system operates, how it interacts with the other systems of your body. So in this, this very short book, kind of a plug for the book, right, in 100 pages, you know, two and a half hours on the audiobook if you want to read it that way, 10-minute chapters, we really walk through the systems of the body and how those systems work, the kinds of reflex responses that take place in your body, and how those can be understood and measured and how they can be addressed. You know, so I, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a window into things that you may have, nobody's ever talked to you about. Like, go into your doctor and say, hey, what's the exit strategy for my child's ADHD meds? What's the exit strategy for my Xanax, for my panic attacks? What's the exit strategy for my sleep problem? Will you keep taking this the rest of your life? Really, but what lies behind all of this is the brain and the body are the most amazing things that have ever been created in the entire universe. And yes, we can chemically alter things, but the power that exists in the brain and the body to actually heal itself, the best medicine for the brain is itself. And you're going to learn about the technologies that are right at your fingertips that you could look at your brain. I mean, we can literally send these things to your house and you can hook them up to your brain and we can see what's going on, what's driving these things upstream. It's, um, it's literally amazing. And you don't have to stop playing a dart game with your brain or your kid's brain and say, well, I think this is working. And who knows what the, the long-term side effects of disrupting the sleep or doing all these other things it's going to be. Absolutely. So real quick, the, uh, the book, we address the, the hidden involuntary systems in your body, the autonomic nervous system and others. We talk about how we have to align those systems in order to you know, improve precision and power and focus in your performance. We talk about a lot. We talk about the book about stress and cumulative mm-hmm. stress and stress loading. And we'll do a whole episode or two about that. We, we talk about measuring and monitoring the brain using, you know, modern technologies and how neurofeedback training can help us find a new normal. So anyway, go to Amazon. It's Forge Your Inner Armor. Strengthen your brain-body connections to perform at your potential by Dr. Timothy Royer. Uh, you can, it's available in print, Kindle ebook, and audio formats. And Doc, if somebody is excited about everything that you're talking about, what's the next steps that they can take with Inner Armor or Warrior Neuroscience? Yeah, well, we're really excited to announce that we'll be releasing a individualized program that you can actually do in your home through Inner Armor that exists with 10-minute sessions that you can fit into your schedule, unlimited sessions per month, coaching, uh, to learn more about that, go to forgeinnerarmor.com. Um, but this is available to you if you want to really take a major deep dive into all your brain and body functionings. Royer Neuroscience uh, takes that up to an even uh, higher level 
where we send some really advanced equipment to your home that's accessible to you. The same things we use for pro athletes. So RoyerNeuroscience.com. Uh, uh, we'd love to have you uh, join our community and start looking upstream at why these downstream things are happening, whether that's physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, and really take your performance, whatever arena that's in, to another level. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Doc. And I hope that a lot of people will take you up on the offer to read the book, listen to the book, and contact the company to figure out how they can begin applying it to their lives. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com. Dot com.